Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's January 26th, 2018. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Coffee Long today. Coffee or coffee? Well, coffee is in the drink. It's coughing as in... <laughs> I got whatever bug you always have. I know. I must have given it to you through the internet. And you know, when when you go to Walgreens, when you when you're healthy as a horse like I am, you never get sick, and you go to Walgreens, I'm sure they look at you like you're crazy. The little store clerks. And yeah. I'm in the uh, the cold medicine aisle, and it's like uh, I, I've just opened the door to Narnia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what any of this stuff is. Yeah. Here, wait, wait five minutes. You hear what I'm doing, and you tell me what I need. I I just uh I, you know, my problem is that I always end up getting a virus and not a cold, and so there's nothing nothing can help me. I just have to freaking, you know, eat more fruits and vegetables and exercise or something and hopefully get it out of my system, but that's the problem with me. I don't catch colds. I catch viruses. But it's I mean, a great poker a, show, isn't it? <laughs> you should probably get some malware for that. <laughs> that's right. Upload <laughs> malware to my brainstem. <laughs> uh, all right, so last week we had this big discussion, right, on uh, bad beat jackpots because they had that big one up in Detroit that was hit, and uh, the winner, winner, uh, loser, I guess, <laughs> loser of the hand, winner got uh, like four point seven million or something absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, nice no, hand, good. Game. Wasn't that much? It was four hundred thousand. Okay, whatever. It was less. a million was a dollar of jackpot. I know you wrote that somewhere else too. Like oh, I did. Facebook I never was. It was. It was yeah, a million-dollar right. jackpot, and he won 400 grand of it. Whatever. Four million. Hey, everybody, serious. Scott does the books for any up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about that. That W-2 isn't correct. Oh, great. Don't go buy that Ferrari. All right. Well, I still need to come right, on. So we had this discussion, out. and uh, you and I, uh, our opinion, which we've stated before, but we stated more voraciously last week, was that these bad B jackpots are not good for the poker economy because that money wouldn't won in that manner is not likely to come back into the poker economy. Therefore, it's going somewhere else, and then the poker economy dries up. Whereas other promotions, we have a better chance of recirculating the money. Yes. I thought we made good points. Yes. Did you think we made good points? Yes. Ah. Apparently, others did not. <laughs> And that's great. That's what I like when we get in these discussions with our with our, our fans and listeners. And um, so anyhow, we, we get so much feedback. I thought maybe we could just revisit without regurgitating. I don't know whether we can do that. Impossible. Is it possible? Impossible. Um, but um, you know, we had one interesting email, and of course, that guy's probably like, yeah, four point seven million. Good, good job, Scott. Yeah, that's where you wrote it. That's right. It was the email. I was like, I knew I saw it somewhere. Um, but. Uh, I don't even know where to go with this because I thought we we explained it clearly enough, but I guess based off the feedback we didn't. So um, I guess I'll just very quickly restate my point of view, and then you tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> okay. 
so yes, uh, money. Anytime that dollar or two dollars or three dollars is taking a room, takes that as the promotional fund, which almost every room does now. I think, right? Yeah. That money is coming off the table um, and is no longer in play. Um, so, as poker players and as people in the poker industry. I would say our argument is that that money, which has to be returned to players 100%, no one can, because you know can't take a piece of that or cut of that. That money that they take in has to come back to players in some form or fashion. Right. It should come back more often than not in ways that more people will get that money in quicker ways and in smaller increments. So therefore, that money has a better chance of getting put back on the table. So. Uh, I guess the point I made in, in one of the responses was a $500 every hour for the high hand, which is a promotion that I think works pretty well. Now, that money that came off the table, $1, $2 at a time, is now going back into a player's hands the very next day. And in a 1-2 game or 2-5 game, when you get $500, sure, you might put some in your pocket and go home, take the wife out for dinner pay a bill maybe, but more than likely a good chunk of that is going back on the table at some point, even if not that night, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you win 400000 or $4.7 million <laughs> in a bad beat jackpot, uh, you're not going to all of a sudden go up to uh, Bobby's room in Vegas and play 2000 4000 Right. So that's, that's the argument I think we're making now is that uh, that money is now gone from the economy. And unlikely to come back. Whereas other promotions make people happier. You know, hey, you know, it's funny. You, how many times have you bought lottery tickets for the Mega Millions? Mm, once. I know. Well, you're too cheap to it, right? But <laughs> Twice, maybe. But, but it's funny how once people will sit around saying, hey, oh, it's only $20 million. It's not worth my time or effort, right? As if $20 million you can't retire on, right? Right. But when it gets to $500 million, everybody's out there, you know, spending the rent money to buy these lottery tickets. But throughout the year, people are buying the little scratch-offs, <clears throat> where you win a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks. Um, so it's not always the size of it that makes a big difference. It's that immediate gratification or the chance of winning that encourages people. So certainly, these bad big jackpots are big headline-inducing, get people in the room. I'm not saying they they don't serve their purpose, um, but the little scratch-off tickets, which I call the high-hand promotions. Uh, make more players happy and make them want to play more often, I think. If you're wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> Sorry, but there's no other way to say this. I mean, if somebody hits for 400 grand, he's not going to put 400 grand back on the table. It's just not happening. And he, a lot of times they come from out of the area to come play in your room. So even if they did put it back on the table, they're putting it in another community where you're not. And yeah. you're hurting your business and you're hurting your players. It's just there's no other way to look at it. And we're not saying that they should put the money back when they win 50 bucks, but I've been at the table when somebody hits a high hand and they come over and they put the stack of chips in your stack. Right. And then you're playing with it. And now there's a chance for everyone to continue to play for the money that they had paid into. It's like uh, what's going to happen to uh, Scott and me in, uh, I don't know, 15 years or so, 20 years from now, when we try to get Social Security and we're not going to get it. <laughs> How am I going to feel? I'm going to feel like the guy who just sat next to the guy or next to the table to the guy who just hit 400 grand and is leaving with it. Because you paid into that big bad beat for the last four friggin' months or years or however long you're playing in that room when it hasn't hit. 
And now that money that you keep putting in, there's no chance you're getting that money. No chance. But if they're paying $500 every hour that you're in that room, there's a very good shot you're going to get it. Even if it's $100, $100 high hands every hour. That's $2,400 a day. You know, there's just, there's no way you're getting that money. And I don't mean you want to get that money because you want to go, you know, spend it on booze and hookers. I'm saying that you'll probably take that $100 and enter a tournament. You'll probably take that $100 and, and play longer. You know, you might say, oh, my bankroll's bigger. I can play again next week instead of waiting two weeks. Because you get to enjoy the game that we all love, and the poker room will continue to flourish. It, it needs to, and it, so some of the other discussions too, like uh, our friend Gambit Mark, he was saying how would the money get, you know, would, would they continue to take it or would they stop taking it? You know, and they're talking about the legal ramifications of that and what's what's allowed by the gaming and stuff. And I was saying, no, no, by all means, you know, keep taking the money because he's right. If you don't keep taking the money, then people come in and get to play for that money for free. It's like a free roll to try to win that bad beat money because you haven't contributed to it at all. So, no, you keep taking the money, but you start a different uh, promotion with it, you know? As long as it's still promotional fun, you do whatever you want with the money. That You know, if they if it's specifically in your area, it has to be earmarked for bad beats, well, then you start a mini bad beat, and you continue to grow that one. Or you seed it again until you have five or six 200 grand ones sitting in the, in the hopper waiting to be hit. But... You know, to take a million dollars out of the poker economy is very drastic and could be very detrimental. And I'm glad we sparked some conversation, and I'm almost positive that I'm going to write about this for the next issue because that many people talking about it with us, then obviously there's some people who have some strong feelings about it, and that's our job. So, um, But, yeah, I don't, I don't think we could have been any more clear with it. Uh, we said to cap it, and if it's not allowed to just be – whatever then you either rewrite the rules or you continue taking the money and putting it toward another bad beat that builds in the back or something or a different kind of bad beat or a different kind of promotion but i would just like to eliminate bad beats altogether to be honest with you absolutely all right cool all right. well we'll see what the whether we just angered everybody all right uh, by now you've probably heard of the new google arts and culture app and by now you i mean not you chris you probably don't know this thing yeah right? i i know what it is but i didn't know it was called that so thank you very much yes. all right there we go so it's, uh, it's called google arts and culture and uh the idea is you snap a photo of yourself or upload it <clears> and it scans the collections of all these masterpiece paintings around the world to find the one that most resembles you and it didn't take long for the folks at poker news to upload some photos of famous poker players to see uh, what work of art they match. Some of the results, Phil Ivey matched with Common Sense by Kai Aspire, and Liv Mori matched with Liz Taylor by B-Toy. Wasn't aware of either one of these <laughs> masterworks, but yeah. they exist. So. <laughs> and uh, everybody listening can go and see all the ones at PokerNews.com. Um, now, I, I downloaded this when I saw it, because uh, I thought it'd be fun, right? Uh -huh. um, and uh, the, my match did not look like me. <laughs> No, and it wasn't a painting that I I recognized. Um, and I'm not uh, I'm not an art snob, uh, and, and I'm not an art hater. I'm an appreciator of arts, but of all the ones my friends have posted, I have never recognized the painting. See, I I thought for sure yours would have been a finger painting of Dewey Tomko's uh, self portrait, <laughs> hanging on his fridge by his grandkids or something. I don't know. That would have been awesome, but no. Uh, no. When I did it, uh, Matthew Fox of Party of Five kept coming up on the cover of An Entertainment Weekly. I don't know why that was, but every time I tried it, <laughs> it was exactly a painting, but I don't know how that happened. But 
<laughs> um, I looked at them too. I looked at the images that Poker News had up, and uh, Liv Boree looked a lot like Liz Taylor in that. The, you know, well, and color. that's what's funny. It's a painting of Liz Taylor. So yeah, I know. It's not like- so yeah, and she does look like uh, young Liz Taylor. So, oh. um, so I think that's kind of funny. That the other thing too is not only did I not know the art, but I didn't know half the players they had either. I'm getting way too far removed from the national poker scene now. I got we're so local with our magazine now to everyday players that I have these people I didn't even know who they were. You know, I recognize a couple of names from like results and when they win big events, but a lot of those players, I was like, that's a poker player. Who's that? Never heard of them. Yeah, I think we probably need to make a New Year's resolution to get Twitch or whatever it's called. <laughs> so we get back into the <laughs> the poker celebrity or poker pro world that we've drifted away from yeah, as we thought. Everyday players that listen to our show. Hey, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, so. If we're, <laughs> what we're doing is wrong, we don't want to be right. <laughs> I heard that somewhere today. <laughs> All right, this is the last weekend. Poker venues across North America will participate in our Restock the Shells Food Bank Initiative with Blue Shark Optics. Don't miss promotions and events at Pearl River Resort in Mississippi, Derby Lane and Daytona Beach Kennel Club in Florida, Bend Poker Room in Oregon, and Seneca Casino Niagara in New York. For more details on all of the events, please visit antiopmagazine.com slash restock. Atlantis Casino Resort Spa in Reno, Nevada will host an Antioch Poker Tour Series August 16th to the 26th. More details to come, but the winner of the main event will appear on the cover of Antioch Magazine and get a seat in the 2019 Antioch World Championship main event. More information can be found at antiochmagazine.com slash Atlantis. Uh, this one I love. Uh, this is great. Uh, Yigi, that's spelled Y-I-G-G-I-Y. It's a palindrome, by the way. Yes, it is. Exactly. Uh, that's how they explained it to me on the phone. Too. Oh, excellent. Uh, they're our new uh, partner looking to eventually host a $2 million free roll tournament in a Las Vegas casino. For now, they're looking for beta testers for their free-to-play online product, and those who are eligible by state law and who take a part will be entered into nightly $100 free roll tournaments and more. Very exciting. Yeah, it's an interesting concept here. Uh, um, they are going to make their money off of sponsorships and ads um, and uh, donate a portion of it to charity. Um, so rooting for them to uh, to be successful, but right now it's an easy uh, hundred dollar free roll for uh, people who can play for free if they yep. want to sign up. Yep. So absolutely, uh, and I forgot to put the website there, but I think it's yigi.com, right? Uh, I believe so. We'll we'll make sure we put it on there. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at magazine dot com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like they do with call the floor and hand of the week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, which specializes in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from Mike Hegenmuehl. He says, In a 1-3 no-limit hold'em game at a local casino, there are several limpers to the button. The button raises to $18. I'm in the big blind with ace-ace and re-raise to 50 A middle position player goes into the tank, and the hijack puts $50 out. The hijack is notified by another player that he acted out of turn and withdraws the 50 bucks. Eventually, the middle position player folds and the hijack mucks his hand. The dealer immediately pulls his cards into the muck and tells the button it is their turn to act. I point out that the hijack put 50 bucks out and the dealer said that she didn't see it. Other players back me up and I ask for the floor. After some discussion, the floor ultimately requires the hijack to post 50 bucks with no hand. The button folds and I collect the pot. Was the floor's ruling correct? Did I do anything wrong or slash unethical by asking for the floor to make a ruling? 
Obviously, the hijack was upset by the ruling. The floor told him that if the hand was retrievable, he would have allowed him to play the hand. In fairness to the dealer, the hijack was in the three seat, and he definitely threw his hand toward the muck. She just made it unretrievable. All right, so the reason I put this on the spotlight rather than the call of the floor is the call of the floor is pretty easy. Absolutely, this player had to put the $50 in. Yeah. Because it actually didn't uh, change. So it, it this one was more of an ethical question for me, I thought. So, um, And uh, I, I told Mike, hey, you did nothing wrong. In fact, yeah. actually, you did everything right here. Yeah. So it's unfortunate that the dealer didn't do it. So you had to be the quote-unquote bad guy by pointing it out. But um, – but yeah, when you put a bet out out of action and action does not change, your action cannot change. So it's, it's always interesting to me as people put $50 out to raise and then one person folds and all of a sudden <laughs> they decide they don't want to be in the hand anymore. I, yeah. That doesn't make any sense. There's other times where I know you, you might maybe want to take a bluff, um, but then you realize you acted way out of turn and a lot of stuff happens, but <laughs> one person in front of you folded. So I... I I don't know. I don't want to get it, but, uh, but yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, that, that was your money. That was money. was supposed to be in the pot and it's unfortunate that his hand is not retrievable and he just has to flush that $50 down the uh, toilet. But you know, it, it's his job to pay attention to the action, right? So he made a mistake by betting out of a turn and then he made a mistake by not knowing the rules that, he was committed to that because the action didn't change. So um, he made he did two things wrong, and you know you, I guess you could be a nice guy and let him off, but he was supposed to put that fifty dollars in, and there should be no shame in pointing out the mistake. Yeah, I mean you know the guy's going to glare at you for the rest of the session, but it's worth fifty bucks to have somebody glare at me. I, I'm sorry, you made a mistake, and I'm I got pocket aces, and the, your mistake is legal. It's legally my money now or illegally the pot's money and you know i'm sorry that you don't know the rules of your own poker room but you made the mistake and i i shouldn't well, be punished any poker room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i shouldn't have to be punished for your your mistake um i should be able to get the a maximum amount of money that's allowed to me so you made no problems there I, I don't i don't see anything wrong with what you did so ethically absolutely perfectly acceptable and uh, you bring a good point that i mentioned to mike too mm-hmm. is that the only way that I would not make a big deal out of this is if I thought that I could make more money over this session than this fifty dollars, uh, or it's going to cost me more money than this fifty dollars yeah. by having the guy get upset or walk away. I mean, if he's a super fish and he's just been like putting hundreds of dollars on the table, um, there could be a case to be made that you don't want him to leave, so you'll not worry about the fifty dollars if he stays there and not take the chance of angering him and having him walk away but it would have to be a really juicy situation <laughs> I, I think to make up for that 50 bucks in a 1-3 no limit game um, yeah. yeah I agree find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been email us at podcast at com, and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo director of poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled this week's prize is set up with J-Design playing cards the official playing cards of Annie Up Poker Cruises, available at ClassicPlayingCards.com. Comes from Steve. I was at a 1-2 no limit hold'em table in a Pennsylvania poker room, and two players get it all in preflop. One of the players immediately tells the dealer to not run out the board. He turns his hand face up to expose pocket aces and tells the other player he will give him half his money back if he agrees to end the hand here. 
I've never played here before, but apparently he has a reputation for making this offer. How does the four handle this? Is this treated like other ways of passing money around? And then in parentheses he says, I'll bet you the next guy walking out of the bathroom has glasses on, or I'll give you $25 if you show, or whatever. By that I mean I've never been at a casino where players couldn't do those things. As it turns out, the offer was declined, and the player with King Jack hits a straight on the river. Wow. Ouch. (laughs) Elliot says, uh, what you described is a form of cheating that is better known by his more common name, collusion. Robert's Rules of Poker under house policies has the following rules. 13. Pushing bets. Uh, Saving or potting out is not allowed. This means that bets made and called cannot be refunded. Rule 15, splitting pots will not be allowed in any game. Chopping the big and small blind by taking them back when all the players have folded is allowed in button games. Uh, this means that pots cannot be split in any way, even if by agreement. Trying to end the hand prematurely by offering a split, even if the other player isn't getting an even split, is cheating pure and simple. All casinos need to make this absolutely clear and should not tolerate it. This usually crops up when player A raises, B calls, C re-raises, A re-raises or calls, B folds, and then C calls or re-raises, and then a split is offered between A and C. The offer of a deal effectively makes A and C a joint entry or a team who cheated B. This is in the distinct violation of the fundamental rules of the game. One player to hand is not just a suggestion. As for the other things you described, passing money and side betting are not just frowned upon a la George Costanza's workplace, but actually against the law in many gaming jurisdictions, and most definitely against the law in Pennsylvania. A lot of dealers will keep their heads down, as many as will many supervisors, but that doesn't make those actions any more legal. Wow, well, I guess we better stop doing that in the home game then. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times, somebody says, "You want to just chop it right now?" And I'm like, "Okay, just get because you want to get the other hand in." You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, maybe we should stop doing that. <laughs> I, I guess I guess I agree with it. It's just uh, the ace ace thing. I've always thought of that myself too. I'm like, hey. Tell you what, you know you're losing, you know you're behind. Just let me take half the pot and you'll be happy. You know, I've thought of that myself, but not cheating. I'm just thinking, you know, if it's two, 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 only two people were in the hand and no one was caught in between the middle of it or something, you know. But wow, yeah, I mean, it's well, it's almost clear. like taking insurance and blackjack. So it's a bad bet for one thing. I mean, from a strategic standpoint, right? Mm. I mean, you feel better just to take the even money in blackjack and so you don't lose because it hurts if you lose, but you win way more often than you lose. Um, and I would argue the same thing with aces that, you know, people were, again, always remember when they lose by ace with aces, they never seem to remember when they win with aces. <laughs> it's actually a bad offer to make, uh, to take. And obviously, as Elliot said, it, it shouldn't be allowed. And it, I think it's another one of those situations where the way that Steve described it in that scenario, it looks like a no harm, no foul kind of thing. Right. So yeah. people are, why can't we do that? But that's. Why Elliot's answer is so important is because if you allow it there, then you have to allow it in other situations to be consistent. And there are other situations where you actually are affecting another player by by doing that. Yeah. Um, or or just the fact of knowing that that's possible changes the play as well too. So um, again, it's one of those things where I know people at the table are like, "Oh, this is crazy. This is ridiculous ruling," and they haven't thought through why that is. So that's why I always like the floors that come over. And not only make a ruling, but try to go into detail. Maybe not Elliot detail, but detail as to why the ruling's made. So it's a, an educational opportunity for players. So um, they understand that it's not just a willy-nilly decision, that there's actually a reason for it. Very good. We have a new O'Malley's move. Let's see what Malcolm gets into here. 
and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week, and for the next several weeks, we'll be playing in a very friendly, very low-stakes, 5-cent, 10-cent, no-limit hold'em home game. Three of these hands will include king-queen. We're familiar with these players, as we tend to sit in this game about twice a month. Everyone buys in for 20. We're seven-handed, the under-the-gun folds, the plus-one calls, and we're next to act with the king of clubs, queen of clubs. This is a pretty decent hand, and with about $23 in our stack, we're going to make it 40 cents to go. It's folded back around to the plus-one, a pretty solid player who sits with around her starting stack of $18, and she calls. There's 95 cents in the pot, and the flop is the king of spades, jack of diamonds, ten of hearts. A pretty interesting flop, and after our opponent checks to us, we fully intend to take this one down with a c-bet. We make it 65 cents to go, but she calls. There's a whopping $2.25 in the pot, and the turn is the jack of hearts. Our opponent once again checks. We don't like this card, and we're really not sure what she could be doing here, so we check behind. With the pot the same, the river is a blank, tray of spades. Our opponent leads out for $1.50. Huh? What's the move? This is Joe Navarro, and you're listening to the best poker cast in all the universe, Anti-Up, the absolute best on poker. It's time for advancedpokertraining.com, hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiamagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, <laughs> you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site, and a shot of cough syrup. That sounds good. <laughs> you, you have something to drink or something? Can you loosen it up? <clears throat> I, I, yeah, I, I still got half my Diet Pepsi here. I'll, I'm playing on when you start talking. <laughs> well, of course, it's the Vic G hand of the week. I keep telling yeah, exactly. you, you yeah, got to have him sponsor the show, too. I think we're just going to change the hand of the week after advanced poker training ever moves on, and I hope they don't. We will now make it the Vic G hand of the week, and, and Vic G will have to give them. Well, no, you could do like football. There, those guys. You'd be like, you just call it the Vic G hand of the week, brought to you by advancedpokertraining dot com. There we go. Right? I mean, that, they do that all the time. They're like, it's at Raymond James Stadium, where you know, with partners of Pepsi and Publix and whatever. So, <laughs> whatever. Not that they're paying us any money to say that on the show today. All right, so Vic is in a nine-handed 1-2 no-lumen hold'em game with a $400 maximum buy-in at his local uh, Florida poker room. And he is in seat six with $600. Table's been loose passive with a few three bets and lots of donkeys. I've been at the table less than 30 minutes, and many of the faces are new to me as they're here for a big tournament that starts later this evening. I love tournament players at cash game tables. Actually, I do too, and I hate cash game tables. Uh, the two villains, uh, uh, I, well, he's got two hands. We're only going to do one this week. We'll do the next one next week. But okay. the two villains in these hands are seats uh, three and five. Seat three is an unknown player to me and has about 250 in his stack. He seems active. Seat five was a ship leader at the table when I arrived. His stack of 800 has been whittled down to 500, so I have him covered in them on his left. Uh, the button is on seat nine. Uh, the villain in seat three limps from under the gun and it's folded us in seat five. It's folded to seat five, who raises to eleven dollars. Uh, a few chips below the standard opening raise of fifteen dollars. We look down at the eight of hearts, eight of spades, and he says the only two competent players 
left are the hijack and the button, and we have them both covered. I don't uh, hardly ever raise like this. I mean, if I'm the first to enter the pot, that's one thing, but I have a limper pretty early on in the rotation. I have a guy raising who has a decent chunk of change in front of him. I'm probably just set mining. I, I, I really don't think I'm going to get too cutesy here and try to outplay these people. I mean, the guy could be desperate, too, if he started with 800 or whatever. He had 800 at one point, and now he's got 500. You know, he might be willing to gamble and and uh, give us a, a a beating that we don't need. So um, I usually just set mine with eights unless I'm the first to enter the pot. Or if I know the <laughs> players in the, you know, in the hand are kind of weak or folds or raises, things like that. I mean, that's... That's a common thing, but I, what I'm saying, what I know about these people coming into this the way he described it, I think I'm just set mining. I absolutely agree. So we'll see what happens. Um, he says, pocket eights are a good hand, but I favor a raise to fold out to three players on my left who have position on me. They know I'm a solid player and should respect my three bet. I decide to min raise to $20. Uh, he says, this would reopen the betting to the original raiser, so it puts more pressure on the players who have position on me. They fold, and it's folded to seat three, who calls the two raises. Seat five calls the additional $9, and we're three-handed to the flop. Yeah, like I said, like I said if you knew how everyone else was going to react, and you knew they were going to fold, you might want to do that to steal position. That's fine, too. Um, but generally, for that, like he even said that that raise amount was a minimal amount. So now, yeah, $20, would that be enough to get me out if I had a speculative hand? Probably. If I had a decent hand, that's not getting me to go anywhere. 20 bucks is nothing in this game to me. So, um, But, yeah, I agree with this. If he knew he was going to get them to fold and he had position with a pair, I probably agree with that. I probably would do that too. Um, but in this case, I don't know what I would have done. I may have just called. Well, yeah, if I certainly knew that a min-raise was going to get me position, I would do that every single time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not only would it get me position, but didn't get me raised, like, re-raised, right? So, I mean, this worked out perfectly, I think. So, um and again, you're right. I mean, Vic is at the table. He has a better sense of what's going on here than we do. So um, if I felt as confident as he was that this was going to be the result, absolutely would make that bet. Yeah. All right. With 56 hours in the pot, uh, the flop is a six of diamonds, five of spades, deuce of hearts. Because we have an overpair, which should be, uh, should be best as it's either unlikely either opponent flopped a straight or calling a mid-raise of the bigger pocket pair. Sets are always a possibility, but let's not go looking for monsters. Both players check to me. What's our move? Well, we took control of the pot. We have an overpair. They could easily just have something like Ace-King or, you know, whatever uh, that would deem them to, to raise a preflop. So I, I'll probably make a bet. Uh, the other thing, too, is if there are some people, they're so savvy in, in poker that they assign actions to what they believe you could be doing when you aren't even doing that because you don't know even know that move or whatever. So some people could think that you min-raised to try to get position with connectors. You know what I mean? They, you might not necessarily have an overpair, so they might not believe your bet too. So there's just something like that to think about. Or they might think you might have hit it. You know, you might have an open-ended hand now or something. So there's a lot to consider when you, when you min-raise like that to get position and have position min-raising because now you're getting the right odds to... to to play your your connectors and things like that. So, in this case, I would still bet though. I'd probably bet. I don't know, thirty or so, maybe twenty five, thirty. Yeah, it's fifty six in the pod. I'll probably bet thirty here. I mean, this is a great scenario for us. You know, 
with a pocket pair, we were essentially set mining, um, even with the raise, and now we got three unders, <laughs> which is perfect, right? And um, and not only could these other people have ace king, but they might put us on ace king and think that all we have is ace high here too. So yeah, I, I mean, and, and when you take control with a re raise, even if it is min raise, you've now you know it went it went limp raise re raise. So you're telling everyone you have a hand. So to not bet would be fishy anyway. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, this is the perfect scenario for us because we have to bet here and we want to bet here. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Uh, Vic says, I'd like to take this small pot right now. Any turn card higher than an eight would have me guessing. Also, one of these players has a hand like ace six. He's not going anywhere. We make a large pot size bet of $50. Hmm. C3 has the fold grip, motions a couple times like he's going to muck, then sets his cards back in front of the stack and counts out to $50. Uh, call two red chips at a time. Oh, man. He knows how to put me on tilt. I haven't played with this guy enough to know if it's some weird act, but it doesn't appear to be. He honestly acted like he was going to fold our original Razor in seat five folds. So uh, with $158 in the pot, uh, the turn is the ten of clubs. So our board now is the six of diamonds, five of spades, deuce of hearts, ten of clubs, and our opponent checks to us. Okay, well, it doesn't sound like he's got two overs. He may have that A6 that he was describing, but it doesn't sound like he just has two overs. Who who wants to call a raise with, you know, connectors or overs and then miss the board completely and then check call a, another big bet? So I don't see that happening. Uh, this person either has A6 or has a pair over the sixes, and now we have to determine if it's sevens or not. Because uh, if it's not, then we're only beating, you know, we're not beating anything but a bluff. So, uh, other than a six, um, I don't know. I might, I might check behind, but then again, you're giving them a free card to hit the overs. They were. I just don't think they have overs. It doesn't seem like somebody with overs would call that bet. So I think we're either ahead or we're behind, which is Scott's favorite thing to take out of the magazine <laughs> when someone says that. Um, <clears throat> if I believe we're ahead. I would bet, but if I think I might be behind, I might have pot control and then and then just call a reasonable bet on the end and see if I was right or wrong with my read. Uh, in this case, uh, the 10, I just don't see anyone with two overs calling here. So even if you had a 10 in his hand, I was going to get 10-6. Why is he calling our bet after a check? So there's no draw there, you know. There's no draw there unless it's like 7-8, you know. Would he really limp with 7-8 and then call a raise, a raise and a re-raise with 7-8 out of position the rest of the hand? Probably not. Mm. So, I don't know. I'm I'm probably going with a check and then a reasonable bet on the river. All right. I, uh, this doesn't happen as often as it used to, but I completely disagree with you. Yay! I, I really think that this guy could have two overs. And, you know, again, we don't know whether, as, as Vic said, it's a weird act with him looking like he went to fold and calling. But if it's not an act, what kind of hands would you have where you're, like, inclined to fold and think, eh, I'll peel one more off? That's generally two overs, right? You know, maybe this guy, he raised and then he missed the flop, so he says C-betting. So maybe if I hit my ace or my king or my queen or whatever it is I have in my hand, um... I can catch up, and it's worth the fifty dollars for me. <clears throat> Ridiculous mistake, but I can see a lot of players at one two doing that. Um, 
And uh, I, I don't think he has the A6. And an A6 would be an easy call. It wouldn't be a, oh, my gosh, should I call or not? In fact, actually, A6 would probably be a raise, I would think. Um, so I don't know. I think he's kind of weak, weaker right now, and I don't want to give up strength here. I mean, the 10 obviously isn't over, and it is what it is. But I would I would rather make him pay to keep drawing, and if he's already got his beat, then he's already got his beat. So Okay, so wait a minute. So let, let me... I want to I want to revisit this. So, you're telling me first of all that if you believe he had overs and he called to speculate to try to hit one, you're telling me that he couldn't have hit the ten because if he did and you're confident he's weak, why couldn't he hit the ten? And easily could have had Jack ten here then if you if you play in your rule. So Correct. you're betting into somebody who just hit a pair better than you. It's possible. Yes. Right. So to me, the way he's played this hand is he's either hit a set. And we're just drastically behind, and he's just milking it because he knows what we're going to do because he's got a reputation at the table. Or he's got a pair already, and he's speculating, well, I've got pocket sevens or nines. You know, I don't know. I mean, he could have set mine with sevens pre flop and then saw the raise and the min raise and thought it's probably worth it now to try to get a set against these two guys and called. So uh, to me, if he had overs, I think we pre flop. If you're at a table and you're being honest, if you're at a table, I, I don't know. I don't remember you ever limping, seeing a raise, seeing a re-raise, calling with like king queen, and then seeing a flop of all unders, and it goes to the guy who re, re you know re-raised, and he bets pot, you know, because it's not the thirty dollar bet we were talking about. Now it's fifty. Right. Exactly. There's no way with two overs is somebody calling with fifty with two overs. He bet. There's no pop. way. There's no way a player should call with that. But I've seen that happen all day long at one two games. I don't see you calling overs when somebody went raise re raise pre flop and then bets pot and they missed the flop completely with two overs and but no it was chance a of a smaller raise and a even smaller re raise. It's still two raises back to him. And then, so even calls it, that's fine. You can call with overs, that's fine, preflop. But then you check, check, and bet pot. This guy is telling you, I have kings or aces. So unless this guy was really tricky and just limped with aces, saw a raise and a re-raise and licked his chops, and said, I'm just going to call again, because a lot of guys like to do that when they're beginners. And then at, unless he's got an over pair, then we're still dead. So I still wouldn't bet. I don't I don't know. I, I love that we're disagreeing here. I am, I am not <laughs> betting. <clears throat> I'm betting about 75, 80 bucks here. So. Okay, so Scott, I'm going to write this down. Scott bets 75 to 80. <laughs> I check. Okay, I've got it written down. Uh, all right, Vic says, after his hesitation calling my flop bet, I want to push him off this hand right now. You go, Vic. Yeah, you go, Vic. Uh, if the 10 of clubs helped him, so be it. I grab a stack of red chips and quickly plunk them down, making a bet of $100. Seat three doesn't take long at all and calls. Uh, this represents more than half his remaining chips. With $358 in the pot, the river is the queen of clubs, completing a board of six of diamonds, five of spades, deuce of hearts, ten of clubs, queen of clubs. This time, seat three quickly moves all in for his remaining $73. Yeah, are I, we, I, or are I, we calling $73 to win $431? <laughs> okay, so... Let's review. <laughs> Scott believes this guy has overs and two very juicy overs, which I will remind everyone used to be Scott's favorite hand, Queen Ten. That's right. Exactly. Have come on the board. He called another hundred and then shoved. And all we have are eights. 
So, is Vic sending in a Harold Bragg hand? <laughs> or has Vic made the rare mistake on our show because he hardly ever loses? <laughs> now, he did send in an email with two hands, so it's a, maybe it's a coin flip that he lost one of them and won one of them. I'm going to say we fold because he made the right read. This guy either has a pair that's over the queen and was just playing it really, really, really bad. And then, or he caught up to us and beat us. One way or the other, I think the eights aren't good. And I know at the end, Vic's going to be like, eights were good. I made a good read. He only had a draw. <laughs> and you lose and you're wrong again, Chris. But I'm folding and I would have, I would have checked the turn. So. All right, here's what we got to figure out. Is this player really, really bad or not? Right. Because a really, really bad player would make some of these moves that we already talked about with the hands that I think he might have. And that player, a really, really bad player, would also think by shoving $73 here is enough to win the pot with a bluff. Right. Which almost never is, right? But, uh, so if he is... really bad at that and this is a bluff that's a bad bluff and then we should call because we have showdown value with our eights i think um but if this player does seem to know what he's doing it's hard to imagine that we are good here right Hmm. and we'd have to join team chris here in full well here's the thing do you think that big pot though for 73 dollars if you're getting four to one on your money that means you know, you'd have to be right one in four times, right? Is that what I'm trying to say? So, do you think you would be in this situation? Well, again, we, we talk about this all the time in limit, times. right? It's the you know, <clears throat> impossible to fold a river bet in limit because it's just one bet to win a big pot, right? Right. But there are scenarios where you know that there's just no chance that you have to win. It's just the way that played out. Your opponent has to have one hand, and that hand beats you. So now you're just throwing away. Four dollars or six dollars or ten dollars or twenty dollars, whatever it is, right? Um, because of this rule that you only have to be right once out of every ten times you do it, right? So that's kind of the scenario here. Um, <clears throat> to me, this is not a slam dunk. We lost. I, I do think there is a couple scenarios that where our hand is best here. Um, it's just a matter of whether there's enough of those scenarios to make it worth it, but. You know, I, I and again, I'm trying to wonder my psyche. What, what what's going to affect my psyche more? Uh, folding here, having this guy flash the bluff, <laughs> or calling here and having him turn over ace queen? Right. I'm not making that decision for you. You have to tell me. No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Which is it? But that's the thing is, every every player has to make that decision for themselves. So, and now I know I got everybody worked up about bad beat. Now that I got them all worked up about you know. Pl- Suggesting that people play improperly uh, based on what how they are as a person. But I, I will always keep making that argument that, you know, you, you should play properly. But if you don't have the proper psyche to play properly, then you need to play <laughs> differently to fit your psyche. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so I would not want to be here all the rest of the night steaming over being bluffed off his hand or steaming because I should have like I knew it. I knew you had it. Right. I love yeah. It. Yeah. It was, so so, it depends on who you are as a person on that one. Which, so, which one of those are you going to be able to deal with better? I think I said I'm folding, so what are you doing? Uh, oh, boy. It, it is an odd shove at the end there. <clears throat> Not if he has it. No, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's what makes me think that that it skews more towards that we have no chance of winning this hand, so therefore I should fold and not be a hero, right? Right. 
Um, but I got some kind of like just inkling, some wild hair somewhere that, that we are still good here. So with a pot that big, I think I'm going to I'm gonna invest the 73 and be upset for the rest of the night when he shows me ace queen. Okay, so here's what I think. And, you know, we're both going out there on a limb because we have no information on these people other than what he told us. I'm going to guess that this player was Hollywooding after that flop. That this person tried to limp into set mine, saw a min of small raise, and then a min raise of that, and thought it's still worth to try to hit a set. So he calls. Then he hits his set and checks, hoping the guy who's aggressive before bets. And when he bets, then he puts on the Hollywood show, and it looks like he might muck and tanks a little or whatever you were saying earlier, and then makes the call. Then the turn doesn't matter what the turn is. This guy's got a set. And he checks, knowing we're going to bet. And then we bet 100, and then he calls quickly, because now he's like, yes, I've got this guy on the hook. No matter what happens now, in the end, he's going to have to call me. And then the river comes. doesn't matter what it comes again, because it doesn't complete anything, and he's got a set. And now he puts his last 74 out there, because he knows you can't really fold for 74 when there's 400 out there. And now he's got us on the hook with pocket eights, and he's going to turn over a set of fives or sixes. that uh, Probably fives or something. But that it feels like that to me. So I'm going to go on the limb and say we're behind and we lost. So that's why I'm full. Sure. <clears throat> Vic says, I'm honestly confused here. And he's not talking about our discussion. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, especially having not played a pot with this guy before. Was this $50 call on the flop some sort of act? It seemed real enough. Maybe he caught a piece of the flop and the queen paired his kicker. His story just seems odd, so after some thought, I count out $73 and slide my stack forward. He tables jack of diamonds, four of diamonds. Jeez. <laughs> Does Vic ever lose a hand? And who are these people he's playing with? Ship them south. Come, come down three or four hours and play with them. <clears throat> Jack he says, four. Uh, he says they tell the players around me that I almost folded. They quickly tell me that he's the only player at the table that you could safely have called with pocket eights. He's been spewing chips all day. As I drag the pots, he five says that he would have won his queen ten went runner runner for top two pair. I told him he still would have checked to be on the turn. It's unlikely that he would have called my $100 bet after C3 also called. How confident can you be with a pair of 10s and a queen kicker? He said that he would have raised me another $100 to see where he was in the hand. I dropped the conversation as not to give lessons to the table. But I remember his comment two hands later, which we'll talk about next week. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. I mean, it's like these hands, they come out of nowhere. Who limps with Jack 4 and then calls a re-raise? After a raise is behind him, and then calls that board fifty bucks to hit a gutter, then misses it and calls a hundred to hit a gutter because not like he picked up diamonds. That just doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> it doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> well, again, we go back to what I discussed. Is this player really bad? And the answer is yes, <laughs> he is. So, um, you know, he, he he's so bad that he's playing this hand to begin with. He's playing it for a raise, actually two raises, right? Um, and then he gets this flop, and the hesitation was real. It wasn't an act. He was like, oh, I really should get out of this pot. I was stupid. And then I'm like, hey, if I hit that three, it's going to be the best hand of the night, right? And everybody's done that at some point in their poker career. So then they call that $50. Now, he really goes off the rails with a $100 call on the turn. I mean, at that point, I mean, yeah, you took your $50 shot to get your tray, and it didn't come. And I mean, now it's not like limit where you're just putting another – Four dollars in, and oh, you got another four dollar bet coming. Um, so that that's, I mean, at that point, if he really wanted to shove us off the hand, he should have shoved. 
shove re-raise there instead of call it 100. Yeah, that's right. I mean, to me, if you're going to put all your chips in anyway, you know what I mean, do it earlier to make it a bigger bet and make the guy fold and get your money back or something. I mean, that that is just terrible. And that's the other thing, too. It's like, you know, if you've never played with this person, then you don't know he's this bad. And if you're playing with somebody you have played with, you might have information on him. But generally, you give people credit for not playing Jack 4 there, and you're behind. But he still calls 73 anyway. Right. You know, I understand that there was decent amount on his money there. So, you know, okay, you'll have to be right once in a while. But at this point, it's like this guy told you the story that he had a set or an overpair that he was trying to be sneaky with, and you still called, and you still bet into him. Well, here's the other argument for Vic, too, is that uh, this, and we didn't talk about this before the call, but the $73 is a paying for information bet as well, right? Yeah. This is the one player at the table he has no information on, and so to fold there and throw away what a hundred and two hundred dollars or so and not get anything out of it, that's a tough pill to swallow. That that probably would have pushed me more so towards the call. Just, and, and now we got the information. Now he knows, and then everybody started talking, you know, singing like a canary after that. Oh yeah, this guy's terrible all night. So and we wouldn't have got that discussion or that information had we not called, right? Yeah. And it's harder to do this in black and white. You know, if you're at the table and you see the mound of chips and you see that he has none left and you think that you can't get any harmed anymore than this, you only have to call 73, as long as you're going to lose more on another street or something, there might be a, a, a an inkling to call more there too, not just for the information, but, you know, this guy, I mean, he's spewing chips like he doesn't even care. I mean, who plays Jack 4, you know? That's a, what do they call it, a spare tire. That's not a playable hand. Ugh, yeah, unbelievable. So he wins another hand, Vic G. Maybe next time he'll lose. I'm Chris Casenza. <laughs> and I'm Scott Locke. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise... Send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.